How do you do? Mr. Brian Peters feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast, gravely amusing, without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold an episode from the mind of Brian Peters, a fan of pop culture who sought to create a podcast after his own image, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest podcasts ever listened to. It deals with two great fandoms of pop culture, humor, and horror. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such strain, now's your chance to... Well, we warned you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new season of Gravely Amusing, the only horror history podcast that can't tell anymore if our wives are demonically possessed or if that's just their personality. We don't know. We don't know. I'm your man, Shadow the Macabre, your host on this crazy ride, the one and only Brian Peters. So last September, if you've been following the podcast or if you haven't, last September, I launched this podcast with the idea and hope to not only hang out with my friends and family and talk about ghosts and goblins and all kinds of spooky stuff, but to educate the masses on the history of horror and pop culture. So whether it's literature, movies, TV, folklore, ghost stories, what have you, I wanted to talk about it all. Not only because it's my passion, it's my love, but a lot of people watch a lot of modern horror and they don't know anything about old horror. So I wanted to put that into this podcast. And that's why my first season was focused on classic literature, classic monsters, the universal monsters to be more specific. My favorite monsters. Um, they ruled the twenties and forties as cinema came about in the great depression. And that's where horror film kind of got its footing as we transitioned from silent movies to, going into sound. And I talked about that all through season one. So going through the history of horror, as we now enter season two of gravely amusing, what is the next chapter? Like what's the next step? Well, it's the 1950s. It's, I mean, you know, forties, fifties. I mean, come on, people use math. <laughs> the fifties was full of the rise of sci-fi, the rise of science fiction. So if you ever saw Bath the Future, which if you haven't, I don't know if we can be friends or not, but in Bath the Future in 1955, when he travels it, you know, his dad is so obsessed with sci-fi. And that's why the Darth Vader joke worked to scare his dad because sci-fi was a new thing. You know, we got this intro to aliens, to bug-eyed monsters, and of course kaiju so if you never heard that term before kaiju uh if you never watched pacific rim or any type of big giant monster movie what a kaiju is it's a japanese word meaning strange creature uh in english it basically is translated to monster or giant monster so we're starting this season and we're going to focus a lot on aliens and 
folklore and cryptids and stuff this season and the movies of the 50s, of course. But we're going to start this mo- this season with the king of the monsters, God Mother Flippin' Zilla. And I have with me tonight the king of the cousins, that my cousin, one of my best pals, known me my whole life because he's just a little bit older than me. My cousin, the Steve Weiser, Stephen Cope. What's up, man? What's up, man? I'm so happy you're here, Steve. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm excited for this one. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Well, I mean, Steve and I grew up together watching monster stuff, superhero stuff, wrestling, mainly The Undertaker, who's our favorite. And Steve just has a great taste in things as supernatural, horror, serial killers. Like, you know, he's my boy. You know, he's basically my brother. So I'm so glad to have him here with me on Gravely Amusing. So Steve, Steve Weiser, my man, let's talk Godzilla. And listeners, please know we do not speak Japanese. Our parents ha- weren't rich. They didn't teach us good things, uh, things that matter that would benefit us in life. They basically, you know, just taught us to eat food and, hey, you have to get a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're doing our best to pronounce these names. So let's begin this podcast, Steve, with a segment I like to call I pee the fool. This is where I give you, and Steve's going to give you, just enough about a subject so you don't look like a fool if you're among geeks and they want to quiz you. Because how many times do you might not know something about a topic and you just kind of look stupid and they're like, you're not a real fan? Well, you're going to know so much about Godzilla that you'll be able to poop atomic breath. But that's like if you eat Taco Bell and White Castle on the same day, which I have done before, but that's a whole other story. And yes, your your butthole will hurt. <laughs> I, I ironically went was going to a Raw that day in Cleveland, and I had Taco Bell for lunch. And then like right before dinner when the show happened, it was like right before WrestleMania when The Rock was facing Cena. Um, yeah, in like 2011, um, I I sat like near the entrance and there was this kid in front of me and like God. where we're like my legs are spread eagle man. <laughs> and the, the whole time I, I was gonna the whole time I, like my stomach was rumbling so when like pyro went off i would fart like right <laughs> on this kid's head <laughs> and, and like 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 when kate's pyro came off it was perfect <laughs> like I let out a big one because it was so loud. Yeah. <laughs> and like the whole time the mom's like, what the heck is this? You know, and the kids are just like, <clears throat> it was great. It was awesome. It was fantastic. <laughs> but I was sitting next to my buddy, Mike, who at the time was another fat guy. So, so like I could kind of blame it on him. Like, like it's important to try to like bring other fat guys with you. So anyway, I ruined that kid's life. And I don't, I don't, I think he was choking when the rock came out. Like, I don't even think he saw the rock come out. Oh God! So I ruined that kid's <laughs> life. That's what I do here, you know. We're about mm, man, horror and humor here. So, Steve, Steve Wazer, let's get dangerous. Who is Godzilla? Well, I got that information for you. So, Godzilla is basically a prehistoric reptilian slash dinosaur-like monster that in time awakened because of all the nuclear radiation and the nuclear tests, which he fed on. Um, 
Some say Godzilla was created because of the nuclear weapons going on. And I mean, the United States, considering we bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki during World War II. So there was a lot of fear and that's how they kind of represented Godzilla with the nuclear bombs in the USA. Um, a lot of films portrayed the Godzilla as this kind of like horror figure. Like they used a lot of horror type things with them at first. Um, and then eventually he became what you, we call now like anti-hero anti-hero where he defends humanity, kind of, even though he's destroying everything from other monsters or anything else that would threaten things. So the current American movies from the MonsterVerse show Godzilla as like your superhero, defending the world from other monsters or anything, while the Japanese seem to make him more like horror and scary as he was originally created. Godzilla usually fights other monsters, which, like Brian said, they call kaijus in these films, and they have big battles, which causes a lot of destruction. Um, yeah, baby. <laughs> and many street fights he has with all these monsters that come. Um, Godzilla is... For Godzilla to just like, bring out a chair... Just start, like, you know, oh my yep. gosh, he's broken in half. <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. But um, Godzilla's been in a lot of Japanese films. 33, produced by um, Toho Studios. And then you got the five American films, including, unfortunately, the 1998 film, which took Godzilla's look to a whole new direction. In a few years when I get to the nineties and we talk about that movie, like, wow. Yeah. When we get to 1980, I'm going to have a lot to say about that. So. Yeah. I mean, it was in my childhood, but eh, come on that. Yeah. We'll talk about that another time. <laughs> and then yeah. you had the four monster verse movies. Um, he's been in various other things like, um, I don't know, Monarch, if anybody has seen that. I don't know if you've seen it, Brian, on Apple TV being the most recent thing. I have not the show yet. Oh, it's it's good. I finished, I'm like waiting for more. Like I, I will have it finished by the time we talk about King Kong Godzilla in a few weeks. Uh, I will have finished it because we're going to talk about it. Yeah, um, it, it's really, really good. Like I was, I was shocked. So, and then he's been in comics, video games, toys, and you know, so on, so on. So, um, Steve, I gotta ask you. I okay. gotta ask you. Um, and I probably put it in our notes to ask you later, but I have to ask you. Um, what do you prefer? Do you prefer Godzilla being a creature of horror and more like a horror movie? where this looming threat is, or you prefer him more like a superhero fighting these other monsters and defending humanity, kind of like America's doing? Um, I kind of like both, but if I had to choose one, I would definitely lean more towards the horror type. Cause I mean, he's I'm a totally with you. I think we need, I think it's good. We have both. Yeah. Like I, because 
because I like Godzilla facing other monsters mm-hmm. and being like, you know, and, you know, defending humanity. Like I kind of, I like the legendary movies where they're going. Yeah. Like there's like, they're not perfect. No, um, not at all. Shingo, you know, or minus one was perfect, but, mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and we will be talking about that. Yes. In a bit. But, um, I, I, I like it. I like both, but I'm with you. I prefer the horror stuff because I like that looming threat. And I think you get more of a personal story. Whereas like with the monster verse of America, the monster verse should have been for classic universal monsters, but whatever. Yeah. the Kaiju verse, yeah. I want to call it. Um, I, I think there's a place for it, but I think you lose that human connection and that impact that you do when it's a horror movie. Yeah, I kind of agree with that because in the newer movies, the monster versus, yeah, um, you really don't pay attention much to the human aspect of it. You're more there for like Godzilla versus whatever monsters in it, King Absolutely. Kong, Ghidorah, all that. But then you go and watch these Japanese ones, including Godzilla minus one, and you you're like they like draw you in with the human factor more than the monster almost sometimes and that's uh, that's what i like oh good yeah definitely but yeah i would have to say horror definitely horror so um well godzilla's first appearance was in the 1954 black and white movie from japan and of course as we mentioned his latest appearance was in godzilla minus one which was perfect I mean, perfect. One of not only one of the greatest Godzilla movies, but one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I usually am the type to not like like subtitles and have to read and all that. But I just couldn't help keep him. (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course, for you, it's nice. But yeah, I couldn't help it not to like read it and like get into it so yeah it was it was really really good i can't wait to get it on blu-ray whenever it comes out someday um he was created and sorry about my pronunciation of these names tomo yuki tanaka and eji tishibura and ashir honda who co-wrote it you're pretty good there and directed the first film yeah, I tried. <laughs> um, he was also designed by Akira Wantabe and Tez Toshimitsu. Akira Wantanabe and Tezu Toshimitsu. Yeah, I'm terrible with these type names. I guess man. I watch a, a little bit more Japanese than you. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, Ken Wantanabe that plays Sarazawa in the legendary movies. Uh, okay. Ghoul, okay, know, yeah. You know, big, big, big American Japanese actor. That's yeah. what Wa- I thought. Wa- it was pronounced, but I'm like, ah, it's too right on the nose. It's okay. We already did the disclaimer. <laughs> we can't pronounce it. Um, <laughs> which is important to note because he's just not another di- dinosaur, like from Jurassic Park or whatever. He's has a unique design, and. I mean, it changes from movie to movie and the way they want to do it, but it's thanks to these guys that we have kind of a base Godzilla. So interesting thing, Steve, if I may jump in. Um, I did not know this, but Godzilla was based off of 
another 50s monster movie that we are going to talk about and in a few months, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Oh, geez. I didn't even know that. I don't even, I've never even heard of like, that. I movie. never, like, <laughs> I think I kind of heard about that movie because I am a big movie buff, um, but I've never seen it. Like, that's another thing I'm excited about this season is there's so many movies we're going to touch that I've never seen before. Yeah, me too. And so, like, we're going in fresh, just like our listeners will be. Um, and to know that Godzilla was inspired by another movie, like, that's just interesting because, you know, yeah. the idea. Anyway, we're we're gonna we're gonna watch that later. Anyway, go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. Okay, so he was inspired, but the creator still did their own thing. The whole with the whole look of bulky, with scales or something all over his skin, with the short T Rex type arms and stuff. Um, he was designed to be amphibious. Uh, monster brown, like loose concept of a dinosaur. He looks to be put together by art director Akira Wannabe to be this combined like Tyrannosaurus Rex, Iguanodon, and a Stegosaurus with a little alligator mixture to him. He's a damn mutt. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He stands erect as green. But more often, he has like a gray scale skin that's textured um, based on here survivors of Hiroshima. Sometimes you, he's even given scars from battles he's had. Do you prefer him being green or like gray? I think it, it would have to be. I think the best is like a little mix of both. Like you give him that gray, but you yeah. give like a dark green like because he does go in the ocean and stuff you would think sure being close to a reptilian and stuff that you would get that but yeah i think it would be i don't think it's one or the other i think it would have to be a mix i like yeah i think like i like the gray and green hue but Mm -hmm. i really like scars on him and battle wounds yeah because like these victims of the Japanese, you know, nuclear radiation and attacks. Like, I like that symbolism. I really, really like that's a artistic, that's cinema, baby. Mm-hmm. I love yep. it. Yep. Yep. Um, he has very short, but very muscular arms, kind of like T Rex, but on steroids. And he has these badass Benny spikes to go from his like bottom of his neck. The whole way down to his tail. Um, and sometimes he they will shoot out. But most of the time you see it, it lights up for that amazing finish move that Brian will get into in second. So, but yep. I, 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 when that lights up and those, those scales shoot out like one by one and it like high, like glows. I think it's one of the most badass freaking things in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I think minus minus one depicted as the best. Oh yeah. Because like in the original Godzilla movie, um, the atomic breath, it, the scales do pop out, but it's only like one time. And then he uses the breath several other times, but there's no light up mm-hmm. and they don't, they don't make it clear in the original movie how much time, he has to like recharge 
that's ner- that's what I really appreciate about minus one is he said, okay, he uses the atomic breath. We only have so much so much time before he recharges. You know, we got to attack. Yeah, they explained it. I better. love that. Like, like uh, it's important in these for monsters and superheroes, whatever, that they do have a weakness. Like, even if it's just a little one, yeah, that we have a weakness where you know it could be exploited so I, I love or that. something. Yeah. So, listeners, where did Godzilla get his name? Well, and I did not know this before, so it blew my mind. So. Godzilla is English name or like the romanization of the word Gojira. So the first Godzilla movie, sometimes you'll see Gojira. That is the same movie. Like it's the original one. And Gojira in Japanese translates to whale's vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. That's that's San Diego. Uh... The most widely accepted rumor of the name's origin is that producer... Tomoyuki Tanaka named the monster after a big Toho worker, Shiro Amakura, who was like a chief of the theater club of Tohu. And they jokingly nicknamed this dude Gojira, which is a combination of the Japanese words Goria or gorilla and Kojira, which is whale. So basically Gojira means gorilla whale. And this guy... (laughs) had a big build who looked like a gorilla and he ate whale meat a lot. So they're like, Hey, you go, whatever. Um, this account of the name was acknowledged by Toho themselves. The director, Ashiro Honda producer, Tanaka special effects director, like all these people acknowledge this is where it came about. But in this documentary in 1998, that probably came out, when the American Godzilla movie came out, the widow of Honda goes out and says, um, no, that's not how it happened. Like, I mean, I don't think she was there when they were making the stuff. I don't think she was in the office, but she's like dismissing the whole story in this documentary and says that they gave it like considerable thought to the name of the monster. You know, the backstage boys at Toho love to joke around with tall stories, but I don't believe it was named after this guy. But she wasn't there, so I really believe that it was probably named after this guy. Um, so and even Honda's longtime assistant director, uh, Koji uh, Kajita, he added, like, those of us who are closest to them don't know how they came up with it, but I believe that it probably was named after this guy. So, you know, you believe what you want. Toho later translated the monster's Japanese name as Godzilla, as I said, for overseas distribution. So God means, you know, God, God and Zilla, like Bridezilla, you know, uh, Quesadzilla, whatever. (laughs) It means monstrous thing. It means very big thing. So his name literally means, you know, God of the monsters or king of the monsters, as we call him. Um, but Gojira, I think that name kind of sounds also badass. And I would love to see him face off against a whale gorilla type monster. <laughs> um, like, I don't know. I just want to see it. Yeah. So, but the Godzilla, the king of the monsters, the first, the first recorded foreign usage of Godzilla, like the first time the name was printed, was actually in a Hawaii Tribune Herald 
so in a Hawaii newspaper to promote the movie in November 20th, 1955. So Godzilla has been portrayed on screen in a rubber suit, motion capture, or voice effects by the following actors. So in the Showa era, which is like the first 15 films of the movie, until we get to like the 80s, so the original era, he was played, and I'm going to butcher these these names, like really sorry, by Haru Nakajima, Katsumi Tezuka, Hiro, Hiroshi Sakaida, uh, Siji Onaka, Shinji Takagi, Aiso Zushi, and Taro Kawai. So those gentlemen have either wore suits or did motion capture um, to portray Godzilla. In the Hanna-Barbera cartoon, which we will get to uh, in a few seasons in the future, he was voiced by Ted Cassidy, who, what what other voices did Ted Cassidy do? Let's see here. I am, I wonder, oh, he did, the, he did, uh, he did science fiction works uh, in Star Trek. Uh, he did some work on I, I Dream a Genie. He was a narrator of the Incredible Hulk TV series. So when he's like, David, you know, or Bruce, Bra- David Bruce Banner, you know, Maul Mettered, you know, whatever. Um, he also did the voice of Lurch in the Adams Family in the mid-60s. So he's done a lot of voices. And he's from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Where nice. Nice. Um, so, yeah. Hell yeah. Shout out to Ted Cassie. And he also was portrayed in the Hensai area. So the so the Hensai Hensai era is from 1985 to like the 2000s. It's it's that's where Godzilla gets really crazy. Um, so that's that area. He was portrayed by Ken Kenpachiro Sadzuma, and then in the Millennium era, which is like Godzilla, you know, 2000. And um, Final Wars and like other crazy stuff. Uh, he was portrayed by uh, Tatsumu Kitagawa Mijuhu Yoshida. And then in the Raiwa era, which I think is where we're at now, um, he's portrayed by Mansai Nomura in TriStar Pictures, which was, you know, the. 1998 movie. Yeah. He, he was uh, portrayed by Kurt uh, Carl, Kurt Harley, and he was voiced with uh, vocal effects by Frank Welker. And if you don't know who Frank Welker is, Frank Welker ha- did the voice for Fred and Scooby Doo. Uh, he's done the voice of Baby Kermit and the Muppet Babies, uh, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, Epic Mickey, the video game. He's done. Voice Megatron, Galvatron, Soundwave. He is a big, big deal. Wait, also the voice. Are you talking yeah. about the movies? So he did like voice effects. Yeah, for like Megatron. Was he the voice in the movies for Megatron? Yes, I believe so. Yes, sir. Ah, nice. Um. Yeah. 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 Voice of Megatron. Um. He's a Simpson work. He's also the voice of. Shao Kahn in 1995 movie. Uh, he did the voice of course, Curious George. Well, of course, Curious George. Oh, he was Garfield on the Garfield show. 
as a kid. Like Frank Walker is a big deal. Yeah, it sounds like, like geez. <laughs> yeah, like he's the dude's a beast. Um so so that is Frank Walker. Uh I might have I might have once and missed my space. Oh well. Okay. Um so yeah. So and I don't think I missed anybody. Uh, uh okay, so, oh yeah, the mocap. The mocap for the current Godzilla in legendary movies, the MonsterVerse, is played by TJ Storm. Okay, so I got everybody. Uh, it's important to give credit where credit's due. So let's get to Godzilla's abilities. What makes him the king of the monsters? And we've already touched on this a little bit. So when Godzilla wants to take you down, he will lift you on his shoulders and a fireman's carry and slam you to the ground and give you an FU. And that don't forget, you can't see me. <laughs> you can't see me because I'm going in the ocean. <laughs> um, but his his main move is his atomic heat beam or his atomic breath. The very best depiction of this, as we said already, is in Godzilla minus one. Holy crap, it's so freaking good. Uh, which and I hope it comes out to streaming by the end of the month because if it does, like, like we're we're totally doing a whole episode with Dre with it. Uh, we went and saw it with Dre in uh, in December. Um, it's so good. Yeah. So the atomic breath is like stored nuclear energy that he shoots out of his mouth as a laser beam. In earlier films, because of budget reasons, you know, and special effects, it was like a can of compressed gas like <laughs> like almost like like a fire extinguisher almost or yeah. like dusting your computer like, <laughs> like yeah it kind of uh, reminded me of uh superman's um freeze breath the way it looked in the first movie just like air, like the air coming I'm out of his mouth that because like in the first movie does he use freeze breath it almost seems like in one scene that he actually freezes something. It looks like it, but I think that was just their representation of the atomic breath. Okay. But as soon as I saw it, it reminded me of like yeah. the freeze breath from Superman. Well, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's still yeah, it was exactly like that. Um <laughs> in some later movies, it's actually hand drawn <laughs> and 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 uh or it's a computer generated flame. So you literally see like Godzilla use it. And then, like, I think it's like a red and orange, like, like just like fiery thing. lines and stuff. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> someone did this in like film college. Like, it's Jeez. it's that's so funny. Uh, it's 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 like it's when they enter the late sixties and seventies, and it, it gets really ridiculous. But regardless, Atomic Breath is pretty badass. Um, Godzilla has immense physical strength. He has a long tail that he whips back and forth. And a fun fact. Um, Haru Nakajima, who played Godzilla in the original films, was a black belt in judo, and he choreographed the fight scene for Godzilla. So I guess, like, you can say, you know, Godzilla knows judo, as in you don't know who you're messing with. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so, I'm stupid. I'm stupid. I know. Uh, Godzilla is amphibious. He mostly lives in the ocean. And an interesting thing that I found in my research he has poor shaped gills for living underwater. So a lot of people are like, well, how the hell does he like breathe underwater? Like he's, he's amphibious stuff. He has, you know, like, I don't know, like toes, whatever he has 
pore shaped gills that like help him live underwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is immune to gunfire, missiles, pretty much anything that you can hit him with. Uh, he, he it, it doesn't do anything. Also, some versions of Godzilla actually have him regenerating from wounds, like, hmm. like I and I think minus yeah minus one did it. Um, like he will regenerate. Um, so that makes him even like pretty much the like you know the Wolverine of <laughs> of monsters. Uh, I'm pretty sure Deadpool is descended from this guy, but um, now. Various films. Now, I want to keep it. I want to let everybody know I have not seen every Godzilla movie. I have yeah, not. Me too. Um, but various films, non-canical television shows, comics, games, you know, whatever. Uh, they do give Godzilla additional powers, just like Superman. Like yeah. in Superman 2, where he throws, like he touches the ass and he throws this plastic, you know, cling wrap to people. Like whatever, <laughs> stupid. Uh, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, I can't. I that's the most stupidest power they've ever gave Superman. But but whatever. Um, but additional powers are like an atomic pulse, uh, magnetism. So I think like he gives off like a, like an EMP, um, precognition, so he knows what's coming, fireballs, uh, converting electromagnetic energy into intense body heat to make himself like really hot, uh, converting blood into temporary tentacle limbs. Which I believe, I, I just got the Blu-ray. I haven't watched it yet, but I I believe that happens in Shin Godzilla. Oh, really? Yes. I haven't seen um, that one, so I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we'll have to watch it. We'll have to watch it. Um, yeah, we'll have to watch it together or whatever. Um, he has an electrical bite, superhuman speed, heat vision, and even flight. So I know I've seen a GIF. Or uh, or whatever, or gif whatever of like Godzilla like sliding on his tail, and he almost looks flying. So I guess that's where it comes from. But you know, with superhuman speed, heat vision, flight, basically being invincible, no wonder he whooped Superman's ass in the recent Godzilla yeah. King Kong ju- meets Justice League comic. You know, he he whooped Superman's ass. So Godzilla also has a very distinctive roar. Very distinctive roar. Um, is transcribed in comics as uh, Skrinyok or whatever. <laughs> it was created by composer Akira. Um, oh, I'm definitely going to pronounce this last name wrong. Uh, Akira Ifukubi. <laughs> Fukio? No, Fukubi. Fukubi. Whatever. Uh, oh, who, produced, who produced the sound by rubbing a pine tar resin coated glove along the string of a contrabass, which is like a giant violin. Um, or you can even say it's a leather glove really. And like slowing down the sound. So that's where it came from. And we will probably repeat that fact later. Um, but how the roar is made today is kept secret. (laughs) But anywho, um, what do you think Steve is the most inconsistent thing about Godzilla. Um probably the way he looks. Because like you get a the in the first movie, 
you get like the black eyes. You can rarely see like his eye in there. And just the way he looks changes. I get that the second movie he does become there is another Godzilla. But even then to now, you, you can see the different ways they change his body. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's, it's his size, his size. Yeah. It's the most inconsistent thing about Godzilla. So like we know he lives in the ocean and the deepest part of the ocean, like I had to look this up. So the deepest part of the ocean, according to Noah, for you ocean lovers and nerds out there, uh, is the Pacific Ocean's Mariana Trench. It, and at a place in the trench called Challenger Deep, it measures 10,935 meters or 35,876 feet. So the deepest part of the world, 35,876 feet. Okay. So the original Godzilla, and there is more than one Godzilla, so that, that's so important. And I, th- I think that that is going to be a big part of the upcoming uh, Godzilla movie, Godzilla Kong movie. Uh, so everybody's like, why is the scales pink? I think that that's another Godzilla. But we're <laughs> going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But because, you know, we went from blue scales to pink scales, like either he's powered up or it's a different Godzilla. See, that's what I was thinking, that maybe he got like an upgrade. Wow. From going in between the two worlds that Legendary has going on. Yeah, Legendary. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the original Godzilla, and there's more than one Godzilla, you know, as I said, um, it was 50 meters or 164 feet tall. In the American version of the original movie, I thought, I thought this was so interesting because this is funny. In the American version of the original movie, Godzilla King of the Monsters, he is labeled as 121.9 meters or 400 feet tall because the producer felt that 50 meters or only 164 feet was not large enough. It wasn't threatening enough. So um, so to put this in perspective, the tallest building in the world is the Burj Khalifa, which is in Dubai, and is 829.8 meters tall or 2,722 feet high. The tallest building in America is the One World Trade Center, for good reason. Um, One World Trade Center in New York City, it is 546.2 meters, or 1,792 feet tall. So is so important, and, and I hope you agree, Steve, it's so important that when Godzilla attacks the city, that he's taller than these buildings, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Like, he's a god, Godzilla. He has, like, there's no way he's going to be shorter than some of these buildings. He has to right. tower them. Yeah, I agree with you there. So, like, so, like, yeah, so, like, is as history goes on and buildings get bigger, Godzilla should get bigger. Like, totally agree. Um, Toho eventually would bump his size to 100 meters as like buildings got larger, as I said. And in the 2014 MonsterVerse, Godzilla starts at 108.2 meters or 355 feet, and he weighs uh, 81,650 metric tons. 
So when America pointed out that movie in 2014, Japan's like, no, nah, we can't be outdone. We made Godzilla. So in Shin Godzilla, he's measured 118.5 meters or 389 feet tall. So just a little bit bigger. So what kills me is in King of the Monsters, that's his biggest size that he's recorded. 400 meters. But it's the same footage that is in um, the original Godzilla. So where you're labeling him as like 165 feet. So we don't see him get bigger. But you still want to say he's like that big. Like whatever. So, so the largest he's ever been is in the 1956 movie. Um, and in 1998 movie, I almost forgot, he's measured at 230 feet or 70 meters. So now, everybody, you know more about Godzilla than you've ever known. And I no longer pity you. <laughs> so I now want to talk about how we were first introduced Godzilla. So I call this segment Losing Your Virginity. Because I have horrible humor. So, Steve, when did you lose your virginity to Godzilla? When was the first time you met Godzilla or introduced to Godzilla? It was probably back in, like, I would have to say, like, 95. Staying up late and watching old movies on my tv and came across i think it was maybe tnt or something and they were just unloading these godzilla films one right after another and i just couldn't take my eyes off of it so yeah it was probably back then so like what do you think what is like the first movie you saw if you can remember I'm thinking, looking back and looking at them now, I'm thinking it was the old Godzilla versus King Ghidorah one because I remember stink instinctively seeing King Ghidorah and the multiple heads and all the flying and all that. Hell yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it was that one. Okay. Um, I think... I think the first Godzilla movie that I saw was Godzilla 85. And my mom's best friend, Carol, who I call Aunt Carol, um, I think she she showed me that. I think that was my first introduction to Godzilla. Or it could, it might also have been like the Gazuki movie. I think that that was on TV a lot. Like maybe it was Son of Godzilla. Um, it also... No, you know what? It might have been Godzilla versus Mothra. That might have been my first movie. Because I I have very many I have a lot of memories of Mothra as I do Godzilla. So it might have been that. So I'm I'm I think my official answer is Godzilla versus Mothra. But I I have so many memories as well of like that huge image of Godzilla in Godzilla uh nineteen eighty five. So I, I think I think it was probably Godzilla versus Mothra. <laughs> so um and like Godzilla also helped Jurassic Park. So it inspired Steven Spielberg for Jurassic Park. So I also think I watched more Godzilla movies around when Jurassic Park came out. 
I think that's like really cemented me as a Godzilla fan, like seeing T-Rexes and like want to watch that stuff. Um, but, and like Godzilla 1998, I have a lot of memories of that. Like I remember the music video with P Diddy, like standing on some truck in New York and like, come with me. And then I think they use the, uh, oh, what the hell is that Zeppelin song? Uh, uh, I know what you're talking about. I know he, about. he ripped off of it. It's a, uh, oh, what the hell? Cashmere. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So you use like cashmere as like the tune and like, go see my mind, see my thoughts, go come with me. And then Godzilla <laughs> like coming to him. Um, I remember that. Didn't he but, go eye to eye with Godzilla at the end? Kind of. I think so. I remember. Okay, I'm gonna have to post on Gravely Music that music video. Yeah, it, that was classic. <laughs> yeah, it was still classic. Like it's it's just so 90s. Um, but that yeah, there's so much hype for that movie, and then it was just so bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> but funny. So I have a funny story about Godzilla. So, um, I think my mom. Yeah, I think my mom found me a King Gord. Like I I remember having. King Ghidorah figure like it couldn't move but it had three heads so I had Ghidorah and then I had a big Godzilla that could move its arms and I think it was like from the 85 movie um so but I had Godzilla toy and I loved that and I wish I still had it oh my god it was my favorite toy as a kid and I brought it into my third grade class for show and tell and after show and tell, I kept playing with it at my desk. And my teacher, Mrs. Malloy, was like, Brian, you gotta stop playing with your Godzilla toy. <laughs> and I think I told her to F off. Oh, then, because I just wanted to play with Godzilla all day. Yeah. So, so I was sent to the principal's office and like and my Godzilla toy got confiscated. And I I wasn't able to get it back until my mom could come and like pick up the toy. And like, yeah, I got trouble. Like, I I told that teacher to to straight to her face, f off. It's Godzilla time. Like, that's how <laughs> that's how committed I am to Godzilla. So, uh, so this next, so that's how we lost our virginity, Godzilla. So, <laughs> so <laughs> the the uh, now it's for the main event, the big meat and potatoes uh, of this of this uh, of the podcast. So, um. To the main part of the podcast, or I call it the main event. Uh, this is where we're, we'll talk about the film, book, TV show, novel, comic book, or character from moment in horror history. Uh, so we're focused on this particular episode on, of course, Godzilla and his history, and more importantly, how he affected horror and sci-fi history and the 1950s. So the focus today is on his first three appearances, 1954's Gojira. 1955's Godzilla Raise Again and 1956's Godzilla King of the Monsters. Which you said was basically the first movie, but Amer- in American. Yeah, it's 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 it, well, I mean you watch it, so like it's it's yeah it, they take out so much good stuff. Yeah. But these movies not only are they were they in the 50s, which is what we're focusing on. But they're so damn vital to horror, sci-fi, pop culture, and like they change films forever. Like these movies are so important to film history and horror history. So let's begin. Godzilla 1954. 
So directed by Ashiro Honda, uh, also written by Tekio Murata, Ashiro Honda, you know, you know, that's who wrote it. Um, it was produced by Tomoyoki Tanaka, and it stars the following. Tagashi Shimura as Dr. Hayoke Yamane. So Dr. Yamane, we got to remember that name, Steve. Yamane, that's like our All main right. character. That's the dude. Um, and also, uh, Akihiko Hirata plays Dr. Uh, Dasuke, or D- 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 yeah, Dasuke Serizawa. Serizawa is a name that you're probably going to remember in Godzilla lore. So drill that into your head if you've never seen this movie, guys. Uh, Serizawa, very important. Um, and Akira Takarada as Hidioto Ogata, which is the boyfriend of Amiko, and Momoko Kochi as Amiko Humane. Uh, and made by Toho, it was released on October 27th, 1954, in Nagoya, uh, Japan, and it was released countrywide on November 3rd, 1954, in Japan. The right time is 96 minutes, so it's pretty. It's a pretty tight uh, hour and a half. So, um, really, you could probably do these movies back to back in three hours, and you wouldn't take up too much of your night. So, the uh, budget for this movie I converted from yen to U.S. dollars. <laughs> so, the budget of the movie was six hundred and sixty-six thousand three hundred eighty-two dollars. In 1950s. Uh, that's a crap load of money in 1950s. So I did not adjust for inflation. But that's that's how much it was in the 50s. how they made. So that's that's a lot of money. But the box office, uh, you know, I didn't adjust for inflation. Made $2.25 million. So this movie made like a good, good bit of profit. So this is how this movie came about. And 1954, Toho was originally going to make a movie with Indonesia as like as Japanese Indonesian like co-production, but Indonesia was very anti-Japanese because um, the movie they wanted to make this about was actually about Japan like taking making sentiments there, like Japan taking over part of Indonesia, and they want to make a movie about it. So Indonesia was basically like, F you, like we we hate that you did this, so why would we want to make a movie about it? So they denied visas for filmmakers. They said no. So the producer that was going to make that movie, his name was Jakarta, he flies back to Japan, um, or he flies, yeah, I'm so sorry, he flies to renegotiate with Indonesia to try to like make this movie. And I, I think it was called in the shadow of glory. And it was going to like, it's like I said, it was going to be about this Japanese soldier who was stationed in the Dutch, Dutch East Indies during this Japanese occupation of Indonesia. And it was like going to be about that. And, you know, Indonesia didn't want it. So they said, screw it. So these negotiations were totally unsuccessful. So on the flight back to Japan, the producer uh, I got this idea for a giant monster film and he started thinking like he's going to do a movie about a giant octopus. Um, but he also was thinking about his inspiration from beasts of 20,000 fathoms. And 
he started thinking about like recent events in Japan, which well, the recent event was the uh, I'll probably I'll definitely butcher this name, the uh, the Daigo Fukoi Fukoi incident, Daiku Fukoi Maru incident. Anyway, it was an incident that happened in March uh, 1954, and basically what happened was uh, this tuna fishing boat in Japan with a crew of like 23, uh, they got contaminated by nuclear fallout from United States like thermonuclear tests in Japan on this uh, bikini bottom or bikini toll and uh, on March 1st. So like the U.S. did another nuclear test in Japan and these people on the boat died and got contaminated. So the crew suffered from radiation syndrome for weeks after that test. And uh, they did recover from the side effects eventually, except for the radio man who ended up dying in September, like six months later, uh, from radiation sickness. So, like, with the bombings of Hiroshima and Okinawa and, or no, no I'm so sorry, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, yeah, um, with radiation poisoning, it was, like, fresh in the mind of Japanese people about nuclear war and radiation and what that could do. So he thought that that was like a real dangerous story. So he took the idea of the beast from 20,000 fathoms and this nuclear radiation idea. And also King Kong was getting popular again because they re-released it. We talked about King Kong next episode. Um, so they're like, we can make money from this. So, the project was approved in mid-April uh, 1954, and Toho originally intended for, um, I'm going to butcher this name, uh, Kichi Tanaguchi, uh, might be what it was, uh, to direct the film uh, as he was attached to Shadow Glory, that Indonesian movie they were going to make. Um, but he declined to do it. So Honda was not Toho's first choice to direct Godzilla, but he had wartime experience, and that made him a pretty good candidate for uh, anti-nuclear theme film. Because, like I said before, science fiction was a new thing. So, like, the 20s and 40s was all about literary characters and classic monsters. But this was, that, that was, like, all pre-World War II. So, like... So, like, Steve, I don't know if you watched a lot of, like, old classic monster movies. No, not really. <laughs> not really. Like, not a lot of people have. But, but uh, like, my stepdad, Tony, was, was, like, really obsessed by them. And, like, you know, Carol uh, showed me a lot of them. Carol's responsible for a lot of my personality. God rest her soul. Um, but if you watch any of those old movies, you can see, like, they're focused on literary characters. Like it came out like during depression times. If you listen to season one, gravely amusing, you know, like the mindset was totally different. Like we're trying to make money during the depression, but like it was very kind of like educational almost like pulling things from book stuff. Like it, it, it's, it's weird to explain. Um, but once world war two hit, everything changed. So, I personally don't think that King Kong was successful in the thirties because it was so ahead of its time. Like it was a whole different genre that they were hitting. So 
re-releasing it post World War II made it made it more. And and when Skull Island comes out, they focus on Vietnam, which made Skull Island more better King Kong movie. So if we focus on these post-war stuff and the effects of it, like you know, with Vietnam going in the jungle and with you know nuclear radiation World War II, it works better for these monsters. So it was a whole different world with sci-fi and all this stuff. So um yeah, so Honda took this job, but he wanted the movie to depict a monster attack as if it was a real event. And he wanted to take a serious tone with it of like a documentary. So he that's how he wrote this movie to be different than a regular monster movie like King Kong or whatever. Um, because science fiction movies were so they were so different, like they were so bugging and monsters. But this movie f- focuses on how it affected the people of Japan and how they felt about being attacked again after they faced this nuclear attack 10 years prior. Because like like Steve, everybody that worked in this movie was alive during that bombing. So like Yeah. Like I think that like wouldn't would you agree that like that's why this movie was so impactful? Because yeah, because it everybody lived connection. through that. Yeah, it had connections with all that. Absolutely, yeah, totally. Like, like that's what made this movie so successful is how like and them showing like nuclear radiation and falling of man. Um, so Steve, how like how how did the writing come along and like how did they design Godzilla? Well, the writer, um. Tsuba Barawa had the idea about a. You can butcher it. It's fine. Yeah, I'm not going to be good with these names. <laughs> had the idea about a giant octopus attacking ships in the in the Indian Ocean. Um, it was rejected, which, to be honest, I think was probably the right idea. So in May of 54, they hired a sci-fi writer by the name of Shiniru Katana to write this story. It was only 50 pages long, which is good because I could barely write anything that quick, which he wrote in 11 days. Um, The script, the paleontologists wore shades and a cape, and he was living in a European-style house that only came out when the sun went down. Um, the idea of Godzilla was going to be this more animal-type monster that would come in from the ocean and eat the wildlife um, that he wanted to eat. Um, he also took interest in females, kind of like King Kong did with the one woman that he brought to the top of the, I believe, the Empire State Building. Um, but it just didn't work. It didn't feature scene um, taken right out of inspiration. The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, which I have not seen, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, we, with, totally, we will see it, though. Yeah. With yeah. Like if they would have made a cookie like cutter... Of King Kong, it wouldn't have worked. No, not at all. 
So, and that wasn't just going to work. Um, the writers eventually met and they decided they wrote this, the Screen Bay as we know it today in three weeks, which is pretty quick, I think, and put in the different characters like Amiko and the Love Triangle and add more of these nuclear type themes. And it just made it more relatable and better, I think. Um, as we said earlier, Godzilla is Japanese for Gojira, which means gorilla and whale fused together, which, like Brian said earlier, would definitely make a good villain <laughs> someday for Godzilla. Oh, dude, but like, like I don't want it like a Sharknado type guard. No, no, no. Like, no. I want to see, I, I don't even know how you would pull it off. Like you go with the whole radiation and they were at the same area. I don't know. Uh, it, it would be but, creative. But, but like, yeah, it would be badass. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Where was I? Um, do some type of gorilla and whale creature, but they eventually settled on making him a, like a dinosaur, like a T-Rex, which we know he's like today. Um, this movie was originally going to be a stop motion animation for Godzilla, which I did not know, but they decided instead on pseudimation where you basically put a guy in a suit and they would put him on these like model train model city sets and just have him go to town, walking through it, destroying stuff, which was very revolutionary at the time for sci-fi. That's um, part of the job that I would like. I would like that job. Like, oh yeah, shit, but like, like just wrecking stuff, but not wearing that suit. See, I would. I think it'd be fun wearing that suit and acting like a dinosaur, trampling stuff. <laughs> I, I think that'd be hilarious and fun. <laughs> um, I mean, the suit it was made of thin bamboo sticks and wire for the frame, which was probably heavy. And had metal mesh and cushioning all over it to keep it the way it looked. And then applied a bunch of coats of latex and molten rubber. Latex paints and molten rubber were added. Followed by more latex to create the scale, the scaly Godzilla hide. The first version of the suit weighed 220 pounds and the guy controlling it probably lost like a hundred pounds in that suit from sweating to death. I think he, like, he lost like 20 or 30 or whatever. I was going to say, just hearing all that stuff, maybe like, I don't do want to be in Now do you want to like put on a Dido suit start wrecking stuff if it weighs 220 pounds? Nah, it, it, it would have to be made better. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> Maybe a couple fans in there and stuff, then I'd have a hell of a time. This was 70 years ago, so like, yeah, <laughs> you know. You ain't getting that good stuff. No, no, no. <laughs> um, they would use, for close-ups of Godzilla, they would create a smaller scale and had a mechanical hand operate a puppet that would spray mist from his mouth for Godzilla's atomic breath, which I said kind of looks like Superman's freeze breath. Um, actors were chosen to be in the Godzilla suit because of, of course, had to for being it weighed 220 pounds. They had to be strong and be able to last. 
And the actors that were eventually chosen were Nakajima and Tezuka. Um, when Nakamo, Nak, Nakajima first wore it, he fell over, which, I mean, 220 pounds, that's going to take down somebody that's not used to wearing something like that. So they end up deciding to actually cut the suit into two pieces and use it for scenes requiring only partial shots of Godzilla or close-ups. In the lower half, he would just wear with suspenders made of rope or something when they focused on him walking more in his feet. But when they needed a full body shot of Godzilla, they created another suit, which obviously had to be lighter than the first suit so they could wear it for more than three minutes before eventually passing out. Um, and like Brian said earlier, one of the actors actually lost 20 pounds during the filming of the movie, probably from sweating and just being in that hot seat for a while. Um, it took about 30 to 40 workers in the carpentry department to build those little model cities that eventually Godzilla would destroy. And for the atomic breast scenes, um, explosives were installed in some of the miniatures that were going to be destroyed by the breath. So they would trigger and blow it up as the breath was going. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, that makes sense. Um, That's why, like, some scenes probably have more fire than others. Yeah. That, due that to makes the sense. Explosions. Um, somewhere sprayed with gasoline. Oh, some were sprayed with gasoline to make him burn easily, which, yeah, that would help greatly. Others included little cracks so they could crumble easier, whatever they could do to make it look as broken down as possible, which makes sense because I know I used to help my friend with derby cars and we would dent certain areas so when he would get hit, it would bend up and it would show better. So oh, cool. that, that makes sense. That's cool. Yeah, it was I very fun do doing that type of stuff. <laughs> um, heck, the movie was filmed in just 51 days compared to now where what takes a year almost or months like, on months. Like months or so. Yeah. So that was that's really quick. <laughs> yeah, they weren't playing. They wanted that money. No, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, and a very important iconic thing to Godzilla is his roar, which we talked about. It's iconic because rep and which makes this interesting because reptiles don't have vocal cords and they don't have the ability to roar or screech. So I'm assuming his roar was probably based on the Tyrannosaurus Rex more than it would have been for the amphibian part of him. Well, like it was, it's probably you know the 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 gorilla part of him, you know, or the whale part, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Know? Yeah, <laughs> it could be. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. But they wanted him to sound scary, so they just added that in there because he was a monster, and it's Godzilla for God's sake. So you have to make him have a roar that's gonna scare. So they actually went to a zoo in Japan and recorded various animals, but it just didn't work right. I mean, unless you're getting, you'd have to get a like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, which weren't around, of 
course. So, as Brian said earlier, Godzilla's War was actually created by a big violin, like a contrabass, and they loosened the strings and rubbed them with a leather glove. And the sound is when they slow down the the speed to make that sound happen. So actually, uh, Steve, that actually is not true. Um, I know we said it twice already, but actually I looked it up. uh, The Godzilla roar is actually my sister whining. Um, (laughs) So, you know, uh, I don't know where the money went, you know, uh, but... You know that's that's uh that's where it came from. So eh, I just want to make sure uh, that that was out there. <laughs> um, with the marketing and the release of the film, um, to generate interest in this movie, they actually did a radio play called Monster Godzilla that ran for really about yeah about it ran for about eleven episodes. And were aired on Saturdays from July 17th to September 25th. We got to try to find that. I wonder if it's on YouTube. Yeah, we'd have to. I'd be interested to see what they sounded like and everything. Huh. Compared to what they do now, they just put out a trailer. They put a teaser and then they line up eight trailers for the one film. This movie only had one trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe so. Um, in the attempt to build mystery for the movie, they didn't let anybody reporters on set. They wanted to keep it hush hush as much as they could. Um, they didn't. We didn't actually learn until the '60s that Godzilla was portrayed by a man in a suit. Seeing it now, it's very clear that it's a man in a suit. But back in that day, it was new. So, um, we just probably speculated it. And to publicize, they had to cut out pictures and posters and display them in theaters and stores like what we see now. And those things are a pain in the butt to build. Because I worked in a movie theater for like a year. And oh my God, it's like a puzzle to build those things. Oh, really? Yeah. And now you got some that like move and stuff and light up. I used to hate building those things. So <laughs> it was cool to see them, but what oh. built and the work's over. <laughs> yeah, but the work, oh my God. I don't know how many times I wanted to take one and just crack it over my knee. But they had advertisement. Use huh? Use your judo. Yeah. Godzilla judo. <laughs> like Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, they had advertisement balloons, and they even had a Godzilla doll mounted on a truck that they drove around Tokyo with. That's pretty cool. Oh, that's dope. Um, the movie trailer was released on October 20th, 1954, and the film was originally released on the 27th of the same month in 54. And That's insane. Okay, that's insane. You release the trailer, and then the movie comes out just a week later? Yeah, I wish like, that was like now, but wow, they released the trailer ago? what months, months away from it. Absolutely, get Unless that you're Madam Web, 
and then you just release one trailer and then like boom here's your movie i don't even want to talk about that (laughs) i didn't even watch the movie and i'm glad i didn't you will though you will when it's when it's free and on the tv and i'm at work (laughs) i'll probably put it on um let me see here and it released in Nagoya, Japan, and will be released nationwide in Japan on November 3rd, 1954, which I think you mentioned above. Um, this film set a record for studios by selling 33,000 tickets and selling out the theater in the first day. Um, but the film will not be shown in America, American theater until April 18th. 2014. 2014, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Dang, I didn't know that was that recent they did that. Yeah, when we put these notes together, you must have missed that. But, like, yeah. Like, so so nobody saw Gojira until 2004. Like, like, well, I'm sorry. Nobody could get a copy in America of Gojira unless it was bootleg until 2004. And it wasn't until American theaters released that movie alongside the new one in 2014. Yeah. Jeez, that's cool. I didn't know that. (laughs) So, uh, well, like you said, 60 years after it was released. Um, So how can you watch this film? Well, in 1985, Gajira was released on Laserdisc. In 1988, it was released on VHS, and then so on and so on. 2001 DVD, 2009, it was eventually released on Blu-ray. And in March 2021, they released the 4K remaster, which... I wonder how many of our listeners don't know what a Laserdisc is and VHS. They might not even know what a DVD is anymore. Honestly, I don't even know. I don't think I even know what a laser disc is. I'm you know, right around. You know, you've never seen a laser disc. I may have. You're older I just than me. don't remember. I'm not that much older, but okay. A laser disc was like that was right when I was born. I know, I know, but like <laughs> I know, I'm more of a historian. I know, but laser disc was like a damn like record. Oh really? And like so, yeah. The tray open. Like it was like a giant DVD, dude. Like it was huge. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Yep. And they thought they thought that it was so like they thought it was gonna work. So like they had lay discs. They thought it was going to really take off, but it was it was like pretty expensive. Mm -hmm. And then like they they thought Betamax was gonna take over. Betamax was like a smaller VHS, but then they came out with VHS and like VHS took over. So it's kind of like the same concept of like in the early 2000s when they released HD DVDs yeah. and Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. Blu-rays took over because of one specific thing. So what do you think is like the main thing of how video technology like grows? Like what's the main thing that like this is the technology we're going to use? I have no idea. The factor, my friend. And my cousin, my blood, is porn. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Look it up. So HD DVD did not succeed. And Betamax and stuff didn't succeed because it was easier to get to produce porn on uh, Blu-rays VHS. Hmm. 
It was this easier to report it on. This is where we would key the graphic. The more you know. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, we're about to leave off here. Okay. Um, oh, the movie was also been released in 2013 as a part of the Criterion Collection and a giant book, Blu-ray sets, that Brian proudly has. Yes, 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 yes. yes. So, yes. So, um, it wasn't cheap, but I, but you know, I don't have kids. Um, so it's, this is like 15, it's this, it's this art book of like Godzilla arc and like the history art and like this history of the movies. And, and it's like this giant book of the art and it has like 15 Blu-rays in it of all the first 15 movies. And it is gorgeous. Man, that sounds good. I mean, I didn't even know they had stuff like that. Yes, sir. I'll send you a link. You have yeah, your you shirt. Have to buy it for you. It. Um, most Godzillas now um, are including or including this one are on the Max app. So if you want to check it out, which that's how I've been watching them, it's on Max. Um, initially, the film actually didn't do well, and some Japanese critics felt it exploited the atomic bomb and the people that went through all that and the pain they suffered. It wasn't until 1956 when Godzilla King of the Monsters came out an American audience saw it and loved the version of the film that the Japanese version became so popular and they hightailed it to make a sequel in 1955, which those movies we'll talk about in a little bit. So, Brian, let's talk about these movie, this movie. All right, my man. Okay. So, for our listeners that, for some reason, do not want to watch this first Godzilla movie, uh, first of all, you're insane. And uh, I won't apologize for calling you insane. This movie is cinema, is great. Uh, I think, personally, I feel like black and white movies have such a wonderful art to them. And, uh, I don't know, I'm an oldie, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, so like, I want to watch minus one in black and white. Like, I just, I just want to see what it will be like. But, uh, even though this movie is black and white, it is cinema history. So try to watch it, but here's what happens in the movie. Okay. So the movie starts out with a Japanese freighter named the, uh, Equal Maru or Equal Maru being destroyed near Oda Island outside of Japan. And this other ship, this other ship, the uh, Bingomaro or whatever, this other ship, that's all that matters, is sent to investigate like what happened, but they meet the same fate of the survivors. And then there's like a fishing boat that is also destroyed and it only has one survivor. So all these boats, like everybody's dying and nobody can catch fish. Japan, if you do not know, is like synonymous with fish and sushi. So like that's how they make their living. So if th these people aren't able to fish and people are dying, if fish are dying, this is a huge deal. So nobody can catch fish. And this elder of the village, uh, this older man basically says that this is because of Godzilla. And that's the first time that we hear Godzilla name in movies and screens. So, and he says, that 
in olden days, we would actually sacrifice a virgin <laughs> to Godzilla. Like we would put her on a boat and drift her in the sea. And like, that's how Godzilla would attack us. And, uh, you know, now in 1954, uh, they stopped doing that. You know, <laughs> they, they decided <laughs> that might be something to do. So uh, because Godzilla didn't get his virgins, that's why Godzilla was attacking. And there's your movie. No, I'm just <laughs> no, I'm just hey, we all need something. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, man. Man has needs. Man has needs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, uh, so reporters start arriving on this island and uh, they investigate. And they see like all these fishes are dying and stuff. And we see like this little tiny peak of Godzilla over a hill. Like he's like that creepy neighbor that's just like, you know, <laughs> just like peeking over the fence. Like you see him uh-huh. just a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, so he kills several people in this attack, but it's like a little, it's like a tease attack, which I appreciated. Like we just get this little tease. So, um, so, yeah, so, like, all these villagers then travel to Tokyo. They demand disaster relief. And uh, the villagers and reporters, sh- like, give evidence and saying, like, hey, this thing is crushing our village. The government hires uh, uh, paleontologists. And the paleontologist is, like, the main character. Um, his name is Dr. Yaname. I-, I hope I remember that right. And he leads this investigation on the island and they find Godzilla's footprints and it has radiation in it and it's poisoned the well and like they have no water. And then <laughs> they find this like trilobite, which is like this ancient prehistoric, prehistoric bug in the footprint. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, like this is prehistoric time. Like this is a dinosaur. Oh, my God. Godzilla. And uh, <laughs> and. Then they sound the alarm for for like a village is being attacked, and we see Godzilla for the first time in like full form. And uh, for the time, he has this huge overbite, like it's a dude in the suit, but like it's so iconic. Like he looks cool. It's it's fun. This movie, this movie, as depressing <laughs> part of this movie is like just the cinema of it. Like there's some fun parts in it. Yeah, um, I. I like how they did his eyes in this one. Like they're just yeah. dark and like dark coming at you. And then they went to like his eyes wide open. And I'm like, uh, cinema, yeah. cinema, mm-hmm. Steve. Like, yep. Like, like, Little details like so that. Good. It was so good. Um, so Dr. Uh, Yanami presents his findings and like, you know, throws the bug to people and said that, says that Godzilla is about 50 meters tall and he had to evolve this way. Like there has to be a reason he, this is, he's so big. So he concludes that basically Godzilla has grown this way because of hydrogen bomb testing, nuclear war, nuclear testing. And he's been feeding off all this nuclear testing and energy. And that's why he's become that big. So he's pushing that, Godzilla is just an innocent creature. Like he didn't ask to be this big. He didn't ask to exist, but he exists because humans have done these horrible things and made him exist. He like, like I can't stress this enough. Like they made him this way. So this is a result of humans doing horrible things. That's why Godzilla exists. 
So he's attacking ships because he wants, you know, he wants his bitches. He wants his women. And, <laughs> and, and <laughs> you know, he wants his virgins. So, um, <laughs> so meanwhile, uh, Yadami has a daughter named Emiko and she's kind of like a main character in this, uh, you know, whatever you have to have like some human contact and basically like she is in a love triangle and she was arranged to this, uh, marry this Dr. Sarazawa who has an eye patch for some reason. Like, I don't even know, remember how he got it, but he, it makes him look badass. <clears throat> so he, she doesn't want to marry Sarazawa. She likes this other more handsome guy. So she goes to tell Sarazawa that she's not going to marry him. And when she does, he's basically like, uh, okay, you know, whatever. I'll find another chick. And he shows her, and they don't show this scene completely because it's supposed to be a secret. Um, but he shows her that he built this thing called an oxygen destroyer because he's a scientist. And it's a convenient part of the plot. So that's why. <laughs> so uh, the government wants to hide what's going on with Godzilla. They want to not have panic. And in the Japanese version of this movie, there's this lady in the audience that's like, no, you're not going to lie. You're not going to hide the truth. People need to know what's going on and you need to do something about it because this this lizard exists because of what you have done. And it's like a really dramatic scene. And she keeps interrupting and like shouting and like they they take her out of like they take her out of the uh, the meeting because she's causing such a ruckus in the American version. They edit that all out. Like, so in the King of the monsters version, they edit that all out. Like you don't see her flip out. Like you just, you just kind of like see like reporters go and like focus on a woman and stuff, but you don't see her. Like you don't see that big interaction that like really dramatic part, which is tragedy. Yeah. I think that, this what they did with that one ruins like it shouldn't ever been made like just leave it alone no it had to be made <laughs> yeah we'll get to it <laughs> but it, it's important but it should have just they should have just like pay for the rights for to to have the japanese movie just come to america like but i under- yeah, i understand I it i understand it though um so anywho the people of Tokyo, they're like, they're like, he's, he, you know, he, he's not going to make it to Tokyo. And if he does, we have this electrified fence. It will stop him. So Godzilla eventually comes to Tokyo. He goes right through this fence. He uses his atomic breath, kills a whole bunch of people. Uh, people are dead or they have radiation sickness. And we see like scenes of like guys trying to escape in a subway and like the subway collapsing on them and them getting flooded. Like it's crazy. But the most powerful scene, and I want your opinion on this scene, Steve. Uh, the most powerful scene in this whole movie for me is when they, they go to this mother that's like like huddled with her two kids, like uh, as stuff's getting destroyed, and she's like standing, so she's like sitting in a doorway, like holding her kids, and she says that. It's okay, kids. Like, we're going to go meet daddy. We're going to go where daddy went because daddy died already. It's going to be okay. And, like, holy crap. Like, that sells the movie for me. Like, that is a powerful scene that, like, 
there's nothing we can do. We're going to die, but I need to comfort my children to know it's going to be okay. And we're going to go where daddy is. We're going to still be a family and go be together. Like, what do you think of that scene, man? Man, yeah, it's very like powerful, like you said, and very tragic. But I feel like it's important to show because you have a giant monster crushing and killing people. You don't want to just concentrate. You want to show. And I think that's what makes the stories so good. From there, you see what happens to the people. And how they're thinking in these type manners and all that. And that, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's very powerful. Like, it's just, oh, it's just, oh, so powerful. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, so this movie ends with Emiko basically telling everybody the secret of Sarazawa's oxygen destroyer, you know, because they're like, how are we going to kill Godzilla? And what this oxygen destroyer does is it disintegrates oxygen atoms in the water and basically causes like uh, asphyxiation and suffocation to whatever's in the water. So I want you to throw your rationale out the window. Like, how are you going to use this in the ocean? The ocean is so big. Like, is it going to destroy all the oxygen in the whole ocean? Like, how powerful is it? Um, it's basically like just put in your head. It's, it can only kill something in a certain vicinity. Like there's there's a range that it can handle. It's it like you know, and it's 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 just this in this immediate area. Okay, it can't suck the oxygen out of the whole ocean. <laughs> but uh, Sarazala, like he doesn't want to use this. He's he regrets that he created it because it kills fish. Like it kills things, and he you know created because he's a scientist like he you know he's curious so um he doesn't want to use this so but they talk him into it because like how are you going to kill like people are going to die like we have to get rid of godzilla so uh he burns the notes because he doesn't want anybody to be able to create this again he like um he doesn't want any more destruction he doesn't want any more nuclear you know, nuclear things going on. And he, um, he only has the notes and like how to make it in his head now. So, uh, at the end of the movie, he dives with Emiko's new boyfriend and Sarah Zawa is like, not mad about it. He just accepts it. And they dive down to where Godzilla is and he's kind of sleeping and they activate the oxygen destroyer. And the boyfriend goes up, the handsomer boyfriend without the eye patch, and Sarazawa cuts his rope. But before he does that, he radios up and says, Emiko, you know, have a good life. I hope you find I hope you have happiness. And kills himself, sacrifices himself so that nobody can get the oxygen destroyer notes out of his brain or like torture him in the future to get it. And and kills Godzilla and Godzilla deteriorates to just a bunch of bones and, uh, and Emiko, you know, goes and lives her life. Um, pretty powerful ending, man. <laughs> like, like, you know, um, yeah, you know, this movie was originally tended to be like, like we want to make this movie so that nuclear stuff ends. So, uh, 
So what do you what do you think about this movie, Steve? Like, does it hold up? Uh, what'd you like about? It? What'd you hate about it? Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the movie. Like, um, it reminds me a lot of Godzilla minus one. Um, I th- I I think it's a good movie. Like, it has everything you would want. It has the tragic with showing the people that are suffering from this and the um, one guy that created the oxygen. Um, I don't even remember what that thing's oxygen. The thing that kills Godzilla. It, it just has everything. I have to say that the one thing I didn't like, um, I don't know. It was just the way Godzilla looked, I guess. I liked the way his eyes were. He was scary and stuff. It's just, I mean, for the time. Yeah, (laughs) it kind of got to me. Yeah. But other than that, and it it does hold up. I mean, Minus One is basically that film just changed up a little bit. and So, yeah, I think it holds up. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I think this movie is just a damn masterpiece. Like, like, well, well, I do think that minus one is better. Um, I think minus one has a better human story. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and but uh, this movie is so good. So mm-hmm. um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump uh two years to the American version, um, and just touch on that a little bit. And uh, here we go. So. Godzilla King of the Monsters, this movie is so very important because it's not a better movie, not <laughs> not at all, but it's so important because without this movie, um, Godzilla wouldn't have survived. It wouldn't have made it like it, it would have just been a one and done. So in 1955, Edmund Goldman approached Tohu and said, hey, give me uh, give me 25K or I'll give you 25K and you let me make this film Americanized. Toho accepted that deal immediately and said, basically you'll have to do English dubbing. You'll have to edit in ways and we have to approve what you're going to change it to so that you can have that licensing licensing. And it's not a carbon copy. What we have, you know, whatever. I don't understand why they didn't just like pay 25,000 to have it be in us theaters and like, you know, that would and, make more and sense. Goldman took money off of it. You know, I don't know, but that's the way it should have been. <laughs> so, um, it's almost the same movie as the original, but there are many differences, and the differences hurt it. They really hurt it. So, the scene of the mother holding her children, uh, yeah, that's taken away. Uh, the part of the lady flipping out and saying, like, Hey, you know, we need to tell people the truth in the courtroom. They cut that out. Um, and they insert this character played play by Raymond Burr, who at the time was very popular for playing Ironside on TV. Like he, you know, he's a pretty famous actor at the time. They have him play a reporter named C. Martin, uh, not C. Martin. We know, <laughs> you know, uh, the character named Steve Martin. This guy's not funny at all. Um, and they like kind of like edit him in the movie to be at key parts in the movie, like he was there the whole time. And they have him stand with like 
stand-in actors when they couldn't get the real actors. Like it's it's just stupid. Um, like what makes this movie worse though is that if you saw Gojira before you saw this movie, it makes the movie worse. So I kind of recommend that you actually watch Gojira, the original, original OG movie, and then watch this because, because you'll see like, you'll like, you'll appreciate Gojira more, (laughs) but it is what it is. So, this movie is so important, though, because if it wasn't for this movie being made, American audiences probably wouldn't have saw Gojira till like so long because it wasn't available in the U.S. on DVD or like to have till 2004, which is 50 years after it was made. So like it wouldn't like Godzilla wouldn't be successful. Like Godzilla has the Guinness World Record for the longest movie franchise at 70 years this year. So this is the 7th anniversary of Godzilla this year. Like it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for this movie being made. Uh some even say it's the most important foreign film of all time. So um it's that important because this introduced Godzilla to the US. And uh, I I think like the my my favorite thing about this movie is the opening title, like where it flashes Godzilla, King of the Monsters, you know, like that's really cool. Yeah. Um. So, I I I, I say like you watch Godzilla, King of the Monsters, this one, the nineteen fifty six version, the twenty nineteen is a whole different movie, but we're talking the fifty six version. Um, watch it. After you watch Gojira, like seriously. Uh, so, Steve, what are your thoughts on this movie? Like, um, did you like it? Did you hate it? Did you think it was better than the original? Me personally, I, other than it brought Godzilla to us, uh, I don't think the movie's really needed. I think you're right. They should have just bought the Japanese one and brought it over. And I hate dubbed. Yes. I hate it with a passion. I, so, I think like I think the agreement was dubbing because like American audiences at that time, like they want to hear English words. They don't want to. They don't want to read these subtitles. And yeah, stuff. which but like so, but like we're well, which is interesting because we're like thirty years removed from silent films, where they had to read subtitles anyway. So yeah, so but like this was like a new sci-fi audience, so that's maybe that's why I don't I don't know. I yeah, have, I, I mean I I understand that, but like ugh. they should have just yeah bought the Japanese version. Like they did not need this version. No, no. I I think I think you I think like you got to watch Gojira and then Godzilla raids again. You got to watch them back to back. Yeah. So Steve. Breakdown, uh, breakdown, you know, breakdown raids again, man. What happens? You know, sum it up. Um, well, Godzilla raids again was in 1955. It was directed by Moto Yoshi Oda. Um, the special effects by, oh, geez, Easy to Sabura. There was a lot of people on this film. <laughs> It was about 81 minutes long. It came out 
April 24th, 1955 in Japan. Um, it was Japanese language. The budget was 213242 again, back so then. deeper than the original. Yeah. Interesting. And, I mean, you could kind of tell. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. For real. <laughs> Which I'll get into it later, but yeah. And then made about a million, a little over a million dollars. Um. So yeah, um, the film was actually it was um the sequel, and they were flying around um these islands towards school, and our pilot faced engine troubles and had to make an emergency landing on one of the islands. I think the island was called Awadu Island. So another plane was sent to rescue this. But when it landed to go get the guy, they had seen that Godzilla was there, a new Godzilla, because they knew they killed the first one from the first movie. With the with the, short, yeah. Right? yeah. So... They saw him, but then they also saw that he was battling a new monster that was on all fours. So the pilots escape the mo- as the monsters are tumbling in the sea. Later, um, the new monster is identified as an Ankylosaurus, which they conveniently name Angurius, I believe is the pronunciation. I don't know how to pronounce it right. Uh, that's how I'm going to pronounce it. Angurious. <laughs> yes. There you go. <laughs> and shows footage. They start watching footage of the first time Godzilla attacks and figured out that, yeah, that that one died. This is a new one. And they suggest using flares, blacking out cities to retract Godzilla from coming because they figured he has he's sensitive to light. So they put these countermeasures. I thought that was very in. interesting. Like the man that weakness like that yeah, he's taking, sensitive to light. You can like disrupt him by light. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, which kinda is like worked apart from Transverse Rex. They use the flare. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Malcolm yeah, used you're right. Flare. You're right to distract them. So it's yeah. kind of like a T-Rex type thing. You're right. You're totally right. So Godzilla comes up to the city. They put all the countermeasures. They fire the flares and Godzilla gets distracted. Meanwhile, there's chaos going on. Prisoners escape the jail people and start running away. They later, I believe, weren't there are three that died in the subway, right? Was that the second one, or am I mixing that up with the first one? It might have been the first one, but like, okay, so like they like Godzilla is going away, like because of the flares. But these prisoners, like, Escape. they wreck into this thing, cause an explosion, right? Yes, which later draws Godzilla's attention back to them, but also attracts the ang. Hey, oh my god, I forgot how to Spike, Spike Adillo. Angurious. Spike Adillo with it. spikes. 
Anguria. So, um, sorry, I'm I so like they my start fighting. Thought. Yeah, they start fighting, and they're having the biggest street fight ever. Godzilla's laying the smackdown on Angurius. And in the movie, it seems like they just, when they made these scenes, they put it in like double fast forward because they are moving crazy. And you could definitely tell that both are men in suits fighting each other. It's almost comical in my eyes watching it in that double way it looks double fast forward and seeing like two monsters fight like two men in costumes i timed it and this this fight was like seven minutes yeah they fought fast forward it probably would have been 14 (laughs) yeah so eventually godzilla lays the smack down bites right into that neck right into the jugular Uh, it was so badass steve yeah yeah and then like, was gushing like all over the place. Like he, oh, he actually bit him jugular. twice. What's he that? Bit him once or like a little bit before, and then he came back in, bit him, and pushed him into that building. Oh yeah. And I think that was the final blow. And then as he was laying there dying, finish him came across, and Godzilla laid the atomic breath on him and lit him on fire and toasted him. I, I was waiting for Godzilla to just pee on him too. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like it was so badass. Like, like it just like, like set him on fire, fight his jugular. And yeah, like it, in this movie, they they pitch that like this new monster like has brains all over its body or something. Oh yeah, that's right. He has brains and that make him faster. Because the brain's literally his whole body. And the brain's near the legs makes him faster, makes him more dangerous and deadly. And yeah, I mean, he just crushed him. So eventually Godzilla finishes finishes him and starts going. So the I believe they're called the Japan Self-Defense Forces. The JSDF. Yeah, yeah. Come with the idea. He's on this island. I guess they find him on an island with like snow and ice and stuff. And they drop bombs and set a fire to block him from moving. And they just light up the mountaintops and just bury him under an avalanche of. Well, they got the idea because like one of the main guys in the film, like. Like I just gotta say, like the human story in this is it's not as good. But no, it's mostly not about all. these two pilots. But one of the pilots like shoots a missile and then it's kind of weird, like almost like he goes kamikaze and he hits yeah, the wall crashes the ice, in into the mountain and, and then it they drops. get the idea to do an avalanche and and bury him, right? Yeah, that's where the rest of the Japan S the SDF come along and just hit the mountaintops with missiles. Just basically bury them alive like Captain America and ice. <laughs> so. Wow. First yeah. death, probably better. <laughs> yeah. So that's so, Godzilla yeah. raids again, huh? Yep. Okay. All right. So like. This. So this sequel was never meant to happen. And like, even though 
you know, we, we are not big fans of King of the Monsters, the American version. It would not have happened without that movie. No, um, well, I'm so sorry. Um, no, sorry. King of the Monsters happened after this movie. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. The, the success of Gojira um, was never supposed to happen because, like, it was meant to be that one and done to talk about, like, like you know, nuclear testing is bad. Like, it was supposed that was the message. But, mm-hmm. you know, money talks and BS walks. Yeah. <laughs> so Honda, the original director, wasn't available to direct that sequel. So he was on like another project and Toho wasn't willing to wait. Like we got to strike when money's hot. Like, you know how it is. You you know, if you, if people are loving it, you got to get on it. Yep. So they hired this B level director with no artistic indulgence whatsoever. Like, and you can tell in this movie, like it's, it's like a whole different movie. It's a whole different thing. Um, but, but Steve dude, and our listeners, this movie is historically significant because you would not have the modern kaiju film as it is today if not for this film. This changed the blueprint for Godzilla forever and monster movies and stuff. This is the first film that Godzilla faces off against another monster. Um, and the monster was quick, and that's probably what the fast forwarding was for. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I, you know, I, I would have liked a bit like, I would have liked more than one fight in the movie. I would have liked them to yeah. spread it out because we just get them beating the crap out of each other, taking down some ch- like, like historical Chinese castle or whatever. And then Godzilla's just like, you know what? I'm done with this crap. Bites him in the jugular, bloods everywhere. It's pretty awesome. And, and then just sets them on fire. Well, technically, they had two fights. Remember the two pilots oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. discovered them fighting on the island. My point. But yeah, I agree. They should have fought a little bit more. Yeah. Before so just him whooping it, it his ass and more. it should have been. That's it. But uh, so what death do you think was better? Like, okay, so going with Godzilla's death in the first movie and Angoris, whatever get his juggler ripped off uh, or the avalanche. Which one's the best death? I mean, I like the bite and the jugular and pushing like this, the whole badassery of that hands down death. I would say that would be my first choice. But what's the best Godzilla death then? Mm. The oxygen destroyer or the avalanche? I would say the oxygen destroyer because to be fair, he's in ice. Couldn't he have used the atomic breath to melt yeah. the ice? So yeah, I would have to say the oxygen. Well, it's the best. In a few weeks, we'll we'll talk about the third movie, um, which is King Kong vs Godzilla. Mm. Yes, the original. That one's gonna be fun. King Kong vs Godzilla. That one's gonna be fun. Yeah. Um, so Steve, like what out of all these three films, which one was the best? First one. Absolutely. I don't even Hands have down. to say anything else. Um, <laughs> so do you agree with me that these two movies should be watched back to back? Gojira and Raids Again? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because it, it's it is a sequel. It has to like, yeah. I would watch those too. I wouldn't even watch the American version that they Yeah, I'll never watch it again. I'll I'd just watch those two and you're good. And, you know, go just for the there. podcast and the historical reference. Yeah. 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 That's it. Um, so 
now it's time for the final words. The final words of this historical part of movie history. So this is where we wrap up with final thoughts and questions. Steve, what is your favorite Godzilla film? Period. Godzilla minus one. Oh, your masterpiece. It's it, a freaking it masterpiece. Tops everything. Yeah. <laughs> minus one. What is your least favorite? <laughs> well, the 98 Godzilla. Good. But good call. I also don't really like Godzilla 2000. Oh, I, I never I, saw that. I, I own it, been, but I haven't watched it yet. This past week when I was at work, it's been on a couple times. Okay. I don't remember which channel, but the dubbing sucks. I hate that he looks cross-eyed in it. And it, yeah, it just doesn't do it for me. So okay, I would I say those two. And give you my opinion. Yeah. Because that'll be like, a podcast years down the road. Yeah. But, but, but uh, yeah, I would say those two, but yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite MonsterVerse Godzilla movie? So of the recent Americanized ones. Godzilla vs. Kong. Godzilla vs. Kong, really? Yeah. With Mechagodzilla and stuff? Yeah. The, my original answer before I changed it was Godzilla King of the Monsters. The first God, the that is uh, second favorite. Godzilla font. But yes. I'm a fan of King Kong. I like... It just, I like that one better. I mean, I'll probably end up liking the new one the best, hopefully. But yeah, I would have to say Godzilla vs. Kong. I just like the fight scenes. See, me, I'll have to watch, I mean, I'm going to be watching Godzilla vs. Kong again, you know, as we build up to the new movie. But um, I really loved King of the Monsters 2019. I really loved it. Um I am a huge Gojira fan, which gives an answer to a question I'm going to ask you in a second. Um, <laughs> but like, I I thought like it was awesome seeing all modern versions of classic monsters and stuff. Yeah. Um, I I like I really liked it. Um, so yeah, so that's my favorite. What's your least favorite of the MonsterVerse films? Um, probably, huh? They're all decent. I don't know. That one's a tough one. Probably the F- Skull Island. Hmm. Interesting. But I mean, even that one was good. <laughs> so, well, I mean, that would probably be my lowest one. Yeah. I think my lowest one is probably the 2014 Godzilla movie. Uh, is that only the one where um, the, the first time we see him, the new like, version, well, right? What's that? The first time we see the new version of Godzilla. You're yes. Talking about. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, see, I, I only one. say that because uh, it was kind of build like we would see more Brian Cranston in it. Mm-hmm. Um. And the story of like him trying like the story of uh, Quicksilver or Kick Ass trying to find his uh, <laughs> wife, you know, yeah. which you know who, who eventually becomes his sister. Um, uh. <laughs> you know, it. Uh, I don't think it was as strong. Um, I kind of liked more sort of this father son story. 
Yeah. Like the father loses his wife and like the dad not being around because he's so obsessed with this mystery. I kind of like that a little bit more. Um, but Brian Cranston, you know, he dies pretty early in the movie. Oh, um, yeah. And then like it's there, there are parts in the movie that are kind of pretty drawn out. Um, yeah. It's not horrible. It's not horrible movie. That's what I mean. It's just, it's I like, feel it's the weakest. Yeah, but I feel like it gave a good representation of how big Godzilla was going to be. I think it showcased him pretty good to yeah. start out. Yeah. That's why I was like, it was more like a horror. It was kind of like actually like the first movie. You saw bits and pieces of them, and then by the end, you got the big scope of them. And the, I will the okay. I will. I will say, I liked how we thought that Godzilla was like the only threat in this movie. Yeah, and he brought in his motos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah, it's not that bad. Well, well yeah, it's I mean, hard to really pick a bad one from that group. Yeah, none of them will be minus one, but they're all good in their own ways. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> all right. Who I gotta know. I gotta know. Who is your favorite Godzilla baddie? Mecha Godzilla. Mecha Godzilla. Hence why I picked Godzilla vs. Kong. Good choice. And then like King Ghidorah was my second. Yeah. Yeah. Which was somewhat involved in that movie, King King. Uh, I love that. I love that they went that way. That it was Pulled like his the brain into the Mecha like, Godzilla. Like yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that was badass. So, uh, speaking of baddies or other monsters, our next episode uh, for this month is going to be on King Kong, nineteen thirty-three, and its history and significance. We might talk the seventies remake. Um, as I'm putting notes together, we'll see like how little notes I might might be. You know what? Let's talk 1933, 76 and the 2005 franchise is nothing but reboots. Like, like, so yeah, yeah, we might as well just talk all three different versions or what, or well, or four different versions, I guess. Yeah. I was going to say, Skull Island and then the Jack Black King Kong. Yeah. And then yeah. the two I wanna, ones. Well, we'll probably do talk Skull Island when we talk later. Movies and stuff. I don't know. I'll space it out however <laughs> I think works the best. Because I don't want podcasts to be more than two like two hours really. Yeah. So um but anyway, it does the original King Kong has, you know, history significance. It's it's really important. So as uh, this month in March, we're gonna be building up to the new King Kong versus Godzilla movie or King Kong and Godzilla movie. And we're also be talking about my favorite film, Ghostbusters as my favorite film of all time and a franchise. I love so much. It's so near and dear to my heart. Like it is love Ghostbusters. Um, we're of course be discussing the new film, uh, Ghostbusters of frozen empire. Uh, we'll be talking about the history of Ghostbusters coming up. And then in the month of April, we're going to take a break because it's my wedding anniversary. I'm going to be on vacation for a few weekends. Um, and I just need to take a little rest because I do have another podcast simply called Brian, the guys where we talk about nostalgia topics, mainly superheroes, 
we have a lot of fun there. You know, Steve Weiser has been on that podcast. We have a lot of fun. Yeah. So if you like this podcast and you want more of Gravely Amusing or to check out Brian and the guys, you can find us at Gravely Amusing on X, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. It's just Gravely Amusing. Uh, if you want to know about superhero stuff and soldier stuff, maybe a little wrestling in there, uh, Brian and the guys is found on Facebook at Brian and the guys, Instagram, TikTok at Brian and the guys. If you want to find me personally, as I discuss other stuff, uh, you can find me on X or Twitter. I prefer Twitter to call it uh, TikTok, Threads, uh, Instagram as the Man Child of Steel. Thank you, my cousin, for joining me, sir. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. I had fun. I had fun with you. Like, like I love talking nerd stuff, man. Uh, um, so thank you, Steve. Thank you for joining me, man. Uh, I felt this was a great podcast. I think we. We, 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 we taught a lot of stuff as the teachers that we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you listeners. I hope this podcast thrilled you. I hope it shocked you and if nothing else. I hope it left you gravely amused. Yeah.